This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, tonight we are learning Le'ilui Nishmat Shmarau Yosef Chaim Ben Yaakov Yisrael and Rabbi Chaya Shedman Ben Yitzhak Akon, as well as Avram Ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechazkel Ben Abraham. Um, I guess as well as the Ariel Chai Ben Eliezer. Okay, so tonight, Be'ezrat Hashem, we're going to be speaking about Lagba Omer, actually about Lagba Omer, Shavuos, accepting the Torah, we're going to be putting a lot of things together. But tonight, it's going to be... I'm trying not to make it deep. Uh, you know, it, it is a deep idea, deep ideas, and I tried very hard to simplify it to the to the best that I can, but it's it's possible that you would need to bear with me a little bit. Tonight's type of class that if you get it, it's going to be amazing. But if you miss it, then, you know, you're going to be like, okay, you'll get like bits and pieces, but it's like you're talking about a difference of like thousands of percentage, the difference of enjoyment and difference of, uh, uh, you know, of understanding of comprehension. So what, what I'm trying to say is try to uh, stick with me, try to uh, stay focused. I'm going to try to simplify it as much as I can. So we know that... In this period in time, during the Sphira, we are in mourning. And just to give a little bit of a background, the Gemara and Yavama speak us about this in the story. The Gemara and Yavama is page 62b, if anybody wants to go and look it up. And the Gemara goes and tells us that Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 peers of students. The Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 peers of Talmidim. Uh, and they say the Chulam Meisu Beparakachan. They all died in this Kufa, in this period. And what's the reason? Because they didn't treat each other with with respect. The Gemara goes on and says, The, the world was was desolate of Torah. There was no Torah. Until Rabbi Akiva, the same Rabbi Akiva. That went out to Rabbi Nisayin He went to the to the rabbis in the generation Ushanalahem, and he went and he taught them. He taught them Torah. And who are these next Tamidim that he had? And that is Rabbi. The Gemara goes and says Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Shimon, and this Rabbi Shimon Baruchai, and Rabbi Lazar Ben Shemua. These are the the students that Rabbi Akiva went and and took on after he lost the twenty four thousand students that he had before the twelve thousand peers. And the Gemara goes on and says these students Hamidutayra Aisasha. They're the ones that kept the Torah um, standing during that time, upheld the Torah during that time. So now, the, there, there's a few ideas we have to understand there. So we understand there one concept that they didn't treat each, anybody with respect. The Bereshit's Rabbah, the Medrash, goes on and says that it, it was also that they were stingy with one another. Not only that they were, they were also stingy, which we'll soon see an idea of what that means. And additionally, Ma'am Laws brings down that they refused to share their Torah insights. They, were, they, they kept their, their chidushe Torah to themselves, so to speak. So that is a brief introduction on what's going on now. And now we're going to ask a few questions, and then we'll delve into the depths of this really, really beautiful, if you stick with me. So, the... I have to tell you how how I came onto this to this year. Um, so so two two or three nights ago, I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, my baby didn't uh, was was up at like I don't know in the middle of the night for like two three hours, and you know it's it's a difficult test when when you know you're exhausted, you just want to sleep a little bit, and the baby is up. 
And, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to do, and by the way, this is what I spoke about last week, this is something that I got from Rabbi Zechariah Wallstein, is that if a Kiddush Baruch Hu wants you to be up in a certain time, better that it be in, in a decent circumstances rather than in negative circumstances. So, at times, I try to make the best of it, and I was thinking, um, I was exhausted trying to calm her down, trying to put her back to sleep, and uh, I was thinking about Lag Boom, or I was thinking about, thinking about the other times, and a few questions came to my mind. And I want to share with you these questions, and that's really where this, uh, you know, this this class came into uh, came into being. It was in the middle of the night when me trying to put my baby to sleep. These questions came up, and then the next few days I went and I started looking into these questions and gained, uh, you know, a little bit of a better understanding. And I want to share with you those insights. So, question number one is, you know, why is it that we mourn? at this period of time for the 24,000 students. We know that throughout history, unfortunately, the Jewish people are not new into you know, the, these uh, huge destructions to the Jewish people. The, the, the annihilation, the, the, the genocide, that ha- this is not new to us. We, we have it throughout entire history. So what is different about this period of time? Granted, there were, there were great people and big people, but what is different about this time that we are in mourning? That's question number one. Question number two is, why is Lag Ba'omer a day of happiness? If you stop for that, we're mourning, and all of a sudden we stop, and all of a sudden Lag Ba'omer is a day of happiness, a day of joy. There is, uh, you know, there's music, there's dancing. And if you want to say, well, you know, they, they stopped dying. The, the students stopped dying during this time, you know, on this day, depending on how you go, but whatever, they, basically they stopped dying. So, you know, when you look into that, what does that mean that stopped dying? They stopped dying because there was none of them left to die. They're, they're all 24,000 died. It's imagine some guy goes and he's making a huge kiddush in shul. And uh, one of his friends goes and says, why are you making kiddush? So he says, you know, I lost unfortunately a lot of money, but, uh, you know, this week I stopped losing money. And when this friend asks him, says, so how much did you lose? So he says, all of it. So why, why is this a time of joy? You lost, there's nothing left to lose. Why is this a time of simple, of happiness when they, were, they all passed away and there was nothing left to them to pass away? So how do we understand this time of joy that, oh, now they stopped dying? Take this question a little bit further, one step further. We know Rabbi Shem Bayechai passed away on Lag Baomer, and that's why if you go to Israel, you go to Meron, it's a huge, huge, uh, you know, situation, a huge celebration, a huge, huge thing. So when you think about it, where else in anybody else's yard site, anybody else's is, uh, you know, the anniversary of when they passed away, is there singing and dancing? And not only that, you go to the grave site of where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai was buried, and there's singing, there's dancing, there's happiness, there's food given out. Like, why are we celebrating the day that he passed away? Where Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, you fast. Yeshua Rabbeinu passed away, you fast. Where, why all of a sudden we're coming here, we're dancing? Like, did, you, did we ever wonder this? Like, why is it? I mean, there's so many interesting customs that we do with this fire and the bow and arrows. There's so many different things, which is not for today, but... We have to ask ourselves, we shouldn't make our Yiddishkeit, our Judaism, we shouldn't make it so, you know, systematic, in, well, it should be systematic, but it shouldn't be like a, a, a computerized thing without any emotion, without any thought. When we do something, we should be like, okay, wait a minute, why are we doing this? What is going on? So, that's question number two. Question number three, we're going to ask four questions, as it's common to ask four questions. So, question number three. There is a Pasuk in Vayikra, chapter 19, verse 18, if anybody wants to look it up, famous Pasuk. The Pasuk goes and says, 
Ani Hashem. Means that you have to love Hashem, you have to love your, your, your friend, your neighbor, like yourself, and then the Pasuk ends off, I am God. The Rashi over there goes and says, this is a, this is a huge, a, a fundamental aspect in the Torah. So the question, and this is question number three, is why do we need to say Zeklal Gadol Batorah? You know, there's songs that made out of this. Why does it have to be a huge cloud in the Torah? We know it's a big deal. So just say, you have to love your friend like yourself. It's a huge deal. It's a Zeklal Gadol. What is Batorah? Why do we have to add that, uh, uh, you know, that Torah? That's question number three. Question number four is, why in, in Judaism is it such a big thing, why is it such a big thing to love your friend like yourself, to love your neighbor like yourself? Why is it such a big deal? And taking the matter a step further, well, a little bit on an angle, but the same idea, there's a Gemara in Shabbos, page 31a, that says that there was a convert that came over to Beishamai and says, I want you to convert me while me standing on one foot. Beishamai went and chased him out. This same con, this same potential convert went to Beis Hillel and he says, I want you to convert me while standing on one foot. So you know what Beis Hillel told him? You know what Hillel told him? Told him something very interesting. He said, and I'm gonna just say it in English, he said, what, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your friend. Do not do to another. Then Beis Hillel goes and says, that's the entire Torah, the rest is interpretation, the rest is commentary, go study. So we see over here a very similar idea. You love your neighbor like yourself. Don't do what is hateful to you to somebody else. Same idea of this, like this personal interactions between us and our friends and our neighbors and our uh, you know companions, people that are near us. Why is this so important? Why is this such a big thing in Judaism? So these are the four questions. So again, just so we understand the question. Question number one, we said, is why do we mourn? What is the, what is the idea of mourning during this period more than any other time period? Question number two, what's, what's the deal with Lag Omer and it being happy? Like, it's a day, it's a period of mourning. Why are we happy at this time? Question number four, what is the, what is the aspect that Be'yahavta Lerecha Kamacha is connected to Zeklal Gadol Batar? Why is it such a big deal in the Torah? And question number four, is why is this such a big deal in general? Like, okay, we understand it's very important, but why is this come up that Basila was able to go and say, by the way, you want to know what the essence of the whole Torah? This is the essence. Make sure you treat your friend like 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 you would you would want to be treated yourself. Like, why is this so such a big deal? Why is this so huge that this is the fundamental concept that everything else is commentary? Okay, I hope this is clear. We're going to continue. We're going to go and answer the last two questions first. So, we know that Rabbi Kiva says, You have to love your friend, your neighbor, like yourself. And Basil says, That which is hateful to you, don't do unto somebody else. So now, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos says something very interesting. The, the, the sixth Mishnah, the sixth uh, chapter in Pirkei Avos goes and says that Torah is acquired, Torah nickname, Torah is acquired by our Baim Ushmainim The Torah is acquired with 48 different qualities. A very important Mishnah to learn. These are qualities that some of them are maybe simple. For example, one of the qualities is to study. One of the qualities is to listen. Another quality maybe that it's not so, you know, Obvious is humility, joy, tranquility. All these are qualities. To love Hashem, to love humanity. These are all qualities that if you want to go and acquire and be able to understand the Torah, you need to have these 48 different qualities. Says the Vilna Goim. He says that it's possible for a person to achieve different positive traits, different good character traits than these that will increase his receptivity to the Torah. However, and this is the big however, it is impossible 
for any one person to acquire all 48 qualities in one. How are we supposed to go and achieve this? Only by working together with another can we possess these qualities that the other one lacks. And then together we are able to complete these 48 qualities and hereby there we'll be able to acquire the Torah. So, this is what the Vilna Gaon says. That in order for us to acquire the Torah, we need to work together. It needs to be a, a united front to be able to, understand, to get all the different qualities. Says the Chassam Sofer. Again, we're, this class we're going deeper than usual, guys. So stick with me. But it's beautiful. Oh, it's so amazing. The, says the Chassam Sofer. He says that the students of Rabbi Akiva, they die during this period of time because they were lacking one specific quality of the 48 qualities listed. In the in Mishnah Perkei Elvis. And that is the loving Hashem's creatures. They, they, there was a lack of love. Now, ask some Sefer, why is this particular quality such a terrible impact? Why is this one so huge that they weren't, it wasn't able to continue? They were like, they all passed away. And the answer is, as, I, as we just said, that the only way to achieve completeness in these 48 qualities is through the assistance of one another. And if there's a lack of cooperation, if there's a lack of unity, if there's a lack of connectivity between you and your friend, the Torah will never be acquired. And therefore, only when one freely loves his brother, loves his sister, loves, loves the, the Jewish nation, and exhibits care and kindness and consideration for the fellow Jew, can the Torah be acquired. Let's take this one step further. When we receive the Torah in Har Sinai, the, the Pasuk says in Shemais chapter 19, verse 2, it says, So, and they encamped by the, by the mountain over there, is plural. And then, is a singular. Why is it that the Torah starts off by saying that we encamp there as a plural, and then, we, and then it says in a singular uh, you know, vernacular, as opposed to using a plural you know, uh, terminology that we used before. Says Rashi, it says, The reason is, is because when the Jewish people came to Har Sinai, they came united like one person. And this is a fundamental concept that we need to have to get the Torah. We need to have that united front. You need that respect, you need that love, you need that unity to get the Torah. And this is what the students, unfortunately, of Rabbi Akiva was missing. And this is why Rabbi Akiva says, You have to love your friend like yourself. This is a huge deal of the fundamental in the Torah. You want to know why? Because in order to be able to accept the Torah, you know why I know it's a big cloud in the Torah? Because in order to accept the Torah, you need to love your friend like yourself. You need to be united. You need to be together. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to go and and be able to receive the Torah. This is why Rabbi Kiva says, This is a fundamental concept. We're in the Torah. Not just in humanity. Not just in the society that everybody should work together well. No, no, no. This, above all, is because it's a fundamental concept to be able to go and to be able to receive and understand the Torah. Let's try to analyze this a little bit. Let's delve into this a little bit more. So, we know that the Torah says, You have to love your friend like yourself, or your neighbor like yourself. Why does the Torah use the word lereacha? We know another term that's used for a friend, is the more common term, is chaver. You know, you have a chaver, that is your friend. 
Why is it that the Torah specifically used the, the, the term lereacha and not chaver, your friend, which is more commonly used? When you look at the words, and you look at the root of the words, chaver, its root is to join, like chibur. It's, it's, a, it's a root to connect the two, that it's joined as, as in one entity. It's totally connected. The idea of chaver, what, what is a friend? Generally, how do people have friends? People make friends because this is someone that you can relate to. Maybe you share similar hobbies. Maybe you share similar ideas. Maybe you share similar goals. But you have to share some similarities in order to be a friend. If you are two people from two polar opposites and you don't care about what the other person cares about and the other person doesn't care about what you care about, there's no friendship in there. How how could you relate? There's, there's, There's nothing to relate there. So in order to be a chaver, in order to be a friend, you have to be connected, you have to be united, you have to be very, very similar. And that is why, you see, for those of us I remember in school, in elementary school and high school, who became close together? The people that had similarities, generally. Generally speaking, the people that, so the people that were good at sports got together. The people that were very, you know, interested in lear- learning, whatever, it is, they, they stuck together. And, you know, and from the, from the female aspect, you know, people that were interested in maybe clothing were more into, you know, together. Again, I'm just saying that I don't know if it's a good topic, whatever it is. People that are more interested in X, Y, and Z, they, they sort of like, you know, stuck together. You get a certain click. And not only that, something very interesting. That, even if, let's say, you didn't enjoy or you didn't have it so much of a hobby, but if your friend had that hobby, chances are, more often than not, <coughs> excuse me, you get that hobby. You get a liking to that. Because that's how you, 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 you connect. You connect with things that you have. You share similarities. So what's a chaver? Chaver is something that you share similarities with. You could connect to, you could understand with, you have similar hobbies, similar backgrounds, similar understanding, similar goals, whatever it is, there's similarities going on up there. What's liriacha? Liriacha is exactly the opposite. Liriacha is someone that is different from you. Not meaning that the Torah goes and says, that you have to love your friend like yourself. To love your, somebody that you're connected with in your clique, in your group, that's easy. Everybody, of course, why wouldn't I love them? We have the same, same goals, same similarities. As long as there's no friction, of course I'll love them. But the Torah says, no, what's l'reyacha? is somebody that is different from you. That is more difficult. That is loving somebody not because of the way they make me feel. That is loving someone for who they are as a person. When I love somebody because they're similar to me, so in a sense, I'm really loving myself. I like the way that you make me feel. I can connect to you, so I, can, I feel good next to you. So really what you're telling you know, the other person is, I love me, and I like the way that you make me feel when I'm next to you. I could really branch this off, and I really don't want to go too much uh, off a tangent on this, but this is really a, a huge thing in relationships. In relationships, if you love your spouse because of what they bring to the table, then what you're real, or what they bring to you more, to, you know, I guess a, a more directed idea, then really what you're telling your spouse is, I love me, and I like the way that you make me feel. So it's not like I love you. I love me and you're making me feel good. And that's the idea, the secular concept where you fall in, you fall in love and you fall out of love. Well, how do you fall out of love? Oh, I, I don't, I don't feel it anymore. I'm not connected anymore. Meaning that you're not happy the way that other person is making you feel. It's a tremendous selfish idea. It's a huge, it's all about me. 
The Torah is telling us, no, but you have to l'reach ha'kamecha. It's easy, but I have to l'chavercha ha'kamecha. It's easy, that's easy, it's the same. But the Torah is telling you l'reach, someone that's different from you. You have a girl that you know, or a boy that you know, depending on the gender. And, you know, sometimes they're different, and sometimes you're like, oh, you know, I just don't, I, I just can't deal with it. You want to know where the Torah is telling you that you have to love that person? When that person is different. When that person is like, oh, I can't believe I have to go and talk to this person. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. We have nothing in common. That is That is this, the difference is what we're looking for over here. Now, stay with me. We'll take this one step further. So we know that the Gemara Yavam has told us that the students of Rabbi Kiva passed away. They didn't kavod, they didn't honor, they didn't have respect. And we know Rabbi Akiva says, There is love. They didn't love, they, they, you have to love your friend like yourself, you have to love your neighbor like yourself. So there's a ve'ahafta, there's ahava, there's love. And there is kavod, there's honor, there's respect. What is the difference between honor or respect and ahava, which is love? Says the Rambam, Maimonides, in Hilchot Ishut, in chapter, in the 15th chapter, Allah 19, if you want to look it up. The Rambam goes and says regarding a, a relationship with you and your wife. The, the Rambam goes and says, Our sages commanded us, a person has to honor his wife more than himself. But his love, like himself. Meaning that you have to respect and honor your wife more than yourself, but love her like yourself. Meaning that there's two different measuring thingy-bajinkies. You know, I don't know what the right word is. There's two different things of measuring. There is, there is a, a measurement of love, which has to be like yourself. And there is a measurement of honor and respect, and that has to be greater than you. So in order to understand this, what is love? Love is a bond. It's a connection that's created between people that's generally, generally, based on what they have in common. You love your friend, you love your parents. There are things that we have in common. You know, love some random stranger. You don't know him. You don't have. You don't know her. You don't have anything in common. There's like there's no connection. Respect, on the other hand, is the bond, is the connection that you have between two people that they accept and sort of tolerate the differences between them. Meaning. Have you ever heard this conversation, uh, you know, this, this idea um, where, you know, I, I've heard this many times where I speak to somebody, let's say, who's not religious, and I'm trying to, you know, say, like, you know, trying to convince him about Judaism or God or whatever it is, and, uh, you know, he or she goes and be like, listen, you know, Rabbi, I, I, I respect your ideas. They use the word respect. I respect it, but I hold differently. Meaning, what does respect mean in this scenario? It means that, you have a different belief, a different understanding, a different goal, a different uh, you know, uh, priorities than I do. It's a different, and that's what I respect about it. But what I love, I love my friend, who we all go together, we all have the same idea, of whether it's atheism, whether it's a different ideology, whatever it is, I can connect to that because that's what I love, that's what I can connect to. So love is something that we have in common, generally, again. Respect is something that is different. Something that is different, something that is not the same as, as what I have to you. 
So, we see over here that the love and respect that the Torah is referring to over here, the Ahashta Lareya someone different than yourself. Someone that's covered is talking about respect. They didn't respect something that has different than you. Someone that maybe disagrees with you. Someone that maybe doesn't understand you. Maybe it's someone that has a different ideology. Whatever it is, someone different than you. That's what we're focusing during this time. Not somebody like you. That's easy. But rather someone that is different than you. And when someone's different than you, they have different qualities. They have different, different ways of attaching to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now again, I'm not talking about atheism or you know, agnosticism. You know, like I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you know, from religious people that just have maybe different... different I, don't, I don't know the right word is to say. I don't want to say different ideologies because we're all the same ideologies. But different perspectives on certain things. That's what we need. We need to connect to those different people. Want to know why? Because the Mishnah and Pirkei Avot says that It's forty-eight different ways that we need to connect to the Torah. When we're the same, and I connect to you, that's not what I'm looking. I'm looking for someone different. We need different people all coming together, and with that, we can acquire the forty-eight ways to acquire the Torah. And with that, we'll be able to go and receive the Torah. It's the differences that we're looking for over here, not the common things, not the things that we share. And unfortunately, the students of Rabbi Kiva, like we said earlier, they didn't share the Chidusha Torah. They were stingy with themselves. They, there was a lack of that unity that's needed. That, 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 there was that difference that wasn't acquired. Let's go next now to the next question. And then we'll connect everything together. Now we have to figure out, understand, why do we celebrate? Like, okay, so we're mourning. We lost them. we lost huge people. So like, why are we mourning? And furthermore, if we're mourning, why are we happy on Lag Bomer? So the answer is, like someone put it in right in the beginning in the chat. So that's, that's amazing that you caught it on right away. Why is it that we're mourning? We're mourning on, granted we're mourning on the loss of the 24,000 lives. Of course, we're mourning for that. But we're also mourning about the loss of the level of Torah that we lost. We had 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva. These are students that would have been rabbis. They would have been the leaders of the generation. We lost them. Can you imagine the amount of Torah that we would have had? The amount of uh, like rabbis that we would have had. So we're mourning the loss of Torah. Says the Prichadash, I've explained something beautifully. You want to know why we're happy? on this day, on Lag Ba'omer, the happiness, the joy, the simcha that we have on Lag Ba'omer is on an account of those disciples, of those students of Rabbi Akiva that he added afterwards. Those students, those five students of Rabbi Akiva added afterwards, they did not continue in the same ways of the former students, of the former disciples. After the first 24,000 students unfortunately passed away between Pesach and and Lag Ba'omer, Pesach and Shavuos, The world was left desolate. It was left empty without Torah. But what happened on that very same Lag Ba'omer, on that very same time period, on that very same year, Rabbi Akiva went and ordained five new disciples. He went and he got five new students. So it is that renewal of the Torah that we celebrate. 
So in essence, what we're doing over here is during this time period, we're mourning the loss of Torah. And what are we celebrating? We're celebrating that renewal of Torah. Then Rabbi Kiva went and he was able to acquire five Talmudim, five huge rabbis. One of them we'll soon discuss, Rabbi Shem and Baruchai. These huge rabbis. And that's what we're celebrating. Let's understand this a little bit more deeper. Rabbi Shem Baruchai became one of the greatest, greatest Torah uh, teachers in, uh, you know, Torah leaders in the generation. On the final day, the day that he passed away, which is Lagba Omer, he called together his students. And the Zohar brings us down. Very interesting story. The Zohar brings us down that he spent the entire day in sort of a, 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 a prophetic, uh, you know, I, state of consciousness that he, at that period of time, he revealed the most deepest secrets of the Torah. And this was later written down in, as the, uh, you know, now commonly known as the Zohar. Rabbi Abba, which was a student of his, which was assigned of transcribing Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yachai's words, he, he reports, he says, I couldn't even lift my head due to there was an t- intense light that was emanating from Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yachai. And the entire day, the house was filled with fire. It was sort of like surrounded with fire, and nobody could get close because of that fire. There was, there was like a, it was a physical fire, from where at least I understand it, but in essence, it was a spiritual power that was going on. There was so much that was coming down into this world that we were be able to access that we didn't have that access beforehand. And it's very interesting that we look at Lagba Omer throughout the world, what are the Jewish people are doing? They're going and they're lighting bonfires. Kids, pyromaniacs are coming out and this is their day. Oh, this is the day. You know, kids are coming out over here for some reason that I don't understand. Kids are a lot of played with gasly, well not gasly, but they're, they're, they're like with fire. Obviously, you know, I shouldn't say that. It's obviously with supervision, but it gets, you know, I don't know. We need a little bit of maybe extra supervision on these situations, but it's like, since when are we so into fire? Like, well, what's the idea with lighting a fire on like Bomer? And the answer is, one of the reasons is, is, is that during this time when Rabbi Shem Bayechai went and gave over the Zohar, gave over the Torah to, to his students, there was a huge fire around. So we're commemorating that. That's so why we have that fire. And furthermore, Rabbi Shem Bayechai went and he instructed his students that, to note the time that he left this, this earth as a day of my joy. Why? Because he explains, says the day that he, that he left this earth is, is that he could, that he happily, I should better say, left this world. He fulfilled his mission in this world. He fulfilled his divine ordained mission. He said, he def, he, other words, he fulfilled his tafkid in this world. You know what the tragedy is? We spoke about this last week regarding what Rabbi Zechariah Wallace says. And this is a little bit of a, a, of a twist on this idea. The tragedy is, is that when someone passes away, it's the end of their story. Their end of their life's mission. That's it. Their tafkin is closed. But there are rare individuals. There are rare times where you have people that are blessed, that are able to complete their tafkin in this world. They're able to complete their mission in this world. One of the reasons of this celebration, and this, this day of joy, is Rabbi Shimon Baichai was one of those people that he was able to go and complete his mission on this world. Now we have to understand, okay, so it's a day of happiness, a day of joy, but since when do we go? And we dance and we sing near a gravesite. You go to a grave, 
it's somber. It's something that you're going and you're, you're in a situation where somebody passed away. You know, whenever you go to a gravesite, there's no, you know, there's no joking around. It's a serious place. You know, it's a place where people were once on this earth and now they're no longer. So why are we going and we're dancing and we're singing, we're making bonfire on, by the gravesite, by the gravesite of Shem Ha'echai? And the answer is, is that Chazam go and tell us a very interesting story. The story goes that Rabbi Huda went on and say how great the Romans are. The Romans, they build bridges, they build bathhouses. It's so amazing and how great they are. Rav Yossi was quiet about this. He heard what you know, Rabbi Huda said, but he was quiet about it. Rabbi Shimon Bayechai went and he says, build the bathhouses, build the roadhouses. Are you kidding me? He says, you know why they built it? They built it for themselves, not for us. They're, Rabbi Yehuda was saying, look how great they are. We're able to enjoy the roads. We're able to enjoy the bathhouses. Rabbi Shimon Bayechai, they built it for themselves. They don't care about us. The Romans, somehow, heard about this. They heard of what each of the rabbis said. So, the rabbis went, the, the Romans went, I'm sorry, and they decreed Rabbi Yehuda, who spoke so highly of the Romans, they will raise him up. Rabbi Yossi, who didn't respond, he is going to be exiled. He was exiled to Tipori. But Rabbi Shem Bayechai, who responded negatively on the Romans, he would be executed. That was, that was, his, that was a decree. When Rabbi Shem Bayechai heard about this, he ran and he hid and I'm not going to get through the whole story, because really, to be honest with you, the, the class that I'm giving today is something really that I could have split into three different classes and go into delve on each of the Gemaras that we're speaking about. But I'm going to give you a brief overview on it. So we're not going to go into all the details. But basically, Rabbi Shem Bayechai ran away. And he ran into the cave and there was a miracle, whatever it was, we're not going to get into all the details on that. The reason of why we celebrate is because Rabbi Shimon Bayechai was able to escape. He wasn't captured by the Romans. The Romans didn't kill him. And because the Romans didn't kill him, he was able to bring down the Tsar. And not only did he was able to bring down the Tsar on the day that he passed away, but more than that, I shouldn't say more than that. In addition, Rabbi Shimon Bayechai had a grave. What I mean by that is, that when the Romans went and they would kill someone, they wouldn't bury the person. The person didn't have a grave. So because Rabbi Shimon Bayechai was able to escape that execution, he was able to have a grave, a gravesite in Maron, where you have hundreds of thousands of people go and visit. In fact, it's probably the most visited gravesite in the entire world, the Jewish world. Rabbi Shimon Bayechai had a grave. You want to know why we're celebrating, why we're dancing, why we're singing by the grave? Because he, there is a grave. If he, they, he would have been captured by the Romans, there wouldn't have been a grave. They would have executed him, and then he would, we wouldn't have had him. We wouldn't have had the grave. In addition, we also celebrate the five Talmidim, the five leaders, the five spiritual giants that came, that Rabbi Akiva went and he taught. And not only that, is Rabbi Akiva went, and his, his one of the focus was that Torah should be able to be continued. There was 24,000 students that passed away. And the Gemara says the world was desolate. There was nothing there. Rabbi Akiva says, this is not going to end this way. I'm not going to give up. He went and he got another five students to go and to make sure there's going to be a continuity of the Torah. And his students went, and he took up 
and it took this goal and, and pushed it further. Let's see how this happened. I'll give you two stories, well, and then we'll close after these two stories. There's a Gemara in Brachos, page 27b, that there's a very interesting story. I don't know if I said this, this story in, in depth, but really it's a, there's a class that we one time we have to give just on this story. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy story. Um, it's a crazy, well, I don't know, I guess to each their own, but for me it was crazy. So there, there's a Gemara in Brachas that goes and says, it speaks about Myriv, the, the, the night prayer that, uh, that we do. So Myriv, there, is, there was a question, was it voluntary prayer or was it obligatory prayer? prayer? Is it something that is required or is it something that's voluntary? So there was a machokis, like any good Jewish you know, thing, there's a machokis. The, the argument was, one, one rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, went and says that it's obligatory, it's required. And Rabbi Yeshua says, no, it's optional, Myriv is optional. So the Gemara goes and brings down a certain story. And the story was that the Gemara goes and says there was a certain student and this student went over to Rabbi Yeshua, and he goes and he asked him, hey, by the way, is Myriv obligatory or, you know, optional? And Rabbi Yeshua, according to his, you know, um, opinion, was that it's optional. So he says, okay, fine, thank you. He went over to Rabbi Gamliel, and I have to note that Rabbi Gamliel was the Nasi, was the leader at this point of the generation. And he asked Rabbi Gamliel, the student asked Rabbi Gamliel, hey, uh, is Myriv, is Arabit, is the, is the, Night prayer is it is it obligatory or is it voluntary? So Rabbi, you know Rabbi Gamliel, you know which is according to his opinion, he says, wait a minute, of course it's obligatory. You're required to do it. So now the student says something very interesting. He goes and he goes over to the rabbi. He says, but uh, didn't Rabbi Yeshua say that it's optional? Now he did something that a person should never do when they go and speak to a rabbi. You go to speak to a rabbi and say, oh, hey rabbi. What is the story in this uh, situation? Uh, you know, you have a certain question. And the rabbi gives you an answer. And then the student goes and says, Oh, rabbi, is that so? Well, uh, there's another rabbi, a contemporary rabbi, a rabbi that lives, you know, now. He goes and he's, he doesn't agree with you. He says that it is allowed or it isn't allowed, depending on what the other rabbi said. That's not, you know, we don't shop around for, you know, halakhic, uh, you know, opinions. So it's very interesting that the student went and he goes over to Rabbi Yeshua, and he asks him, says, what do you hold? And he goes, oh, okay, gets the idea. And then he goes, Rabbi Yeshua, what do you hold? And he realizes that they both argue. And he goes to the one, they are, the, the leader of the generation, he says, oh, if that's your opinion, do you know the Rabbi Yeshua? What is this, snitch over here? Yeah, snitches got stitches, like, what's going on over here? Why is he going? He says, hey, by the way, Rabbi Yeshua doesn't agree with you. Rabbi Yeshua goes, and he says that it's, you know, it's voluntary. Did you, you know, you know about this? So Rabbi Gamaliel, Rabbi Gamaliel, the Nasi, the leader, the prince, goes and he hears about it. He says, okay, let's wait until the Torah scholars, uh, you know, they enter the study hall. They enter the Bet Midrash. When the Torah scholars came in, there was, you know, Rabbi Gamaliel asked the question. The person, there, was a, there was somebody that was like, uh, that, that asked the questions. He goes and says, ask the question. And the question was, is my, they asked the question, is Myriv obligatory or voluntary? So Rabbi Gamaliel replied that it's obligatory. Compulsory, it's required, you have to do it. And Rabbi Gamil looks around, and he was the leader again. He says, Does anybody dispute this? Does anybody disagree with me? And you know, nobody's you know, nobody's responding. He looks at Rabbi Shur, Rabbi Shur says, No, no, no arguments here. And Rabbi Gamil goes over to Rabbi Yeshua and he says, Did they not report to me in your name that you said that it's optional and it's not required? That you know, it's optional. So 
Rabbi Yishu at this point was standing because he had to respond to Rabbi Gamil, and it's only out of respect that you have to stand. So he stood up, and um, Rabbi, you know, Rabbi Yishu went and responded, "If this person's alive, I want whatever." He'd go into a whole different uh, different response, but because of the time, I don't want to go into all the details of this of the story. He basically ended up giving his answer, and he remained standing. Rabbi Gamliel, the, the Nazi, would have to say, "Okay, you know, you can sit down, and let's continue the you know continue learning." But he didn't tell him to sit down. Rather, Rabbi Yishu at this point, he stood up. And he stayed standing. And Rabbi Gamliel continued teaching Torah, continued teaching his class, teaching while Rabbi Shul was standing. And the people over there, they couldn't, they couldn't handle it anymore. They're like, you know, like, we can't do this anymore. He's disrespecting, in a sense, another big rabbi, Rabbi Shua. So they went and they decided that they have to remove Rabbi Gamliel from his position. They have to put somebody else in there. It was disrespectful, whatever, you know, we're not going to get into all the ideas again, maybe a different time we'll go into all the depth, the details of it. But for now, they decided that they're going to, re- they're going to have to remove Rabbi Gamliel. But the question is, who are they going to put in instead? Who are they going to go put as the Nasi, the leader of the Jewish people? Now, they can't put Rabbi Yeshua because he's directly involved with that dispute, with, the, you know, with this, you know, this, this issue. And they can't put Rabbi Akiva, which was alive during this time. Why? Because he didn't have... He didn't have ancestral merit. He didn't have, he, he came from a line of converts. He didn't have the merit that in, again, let's just not go into all the details. Again, maybe we'll go into details every time. He didn't have the merit, let's just say. And the yichas, the, the ancestral merit. So they said, rather, let us go and let us appoint Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, they said, he's wealthy. He's a tenth descendant from Ezra. And he's wise. He says, why are these three things very important? Number one, he's wise. He's, he's smart. He's very smart. He's very well, well versed that if someone asks him a question, he'll be able to answer it. Why is it important that he's wealthy, that he's rich? That he has, if he has any dealing with the secular court, with the Caesar, with the, you know, dealing with the court, he's going to be able to stand up. They're going to go and they're going to respect him. And why is it important that he's a tenth descendant from Ezra? That he has the yichas, he has this ancestral merit that will come in case of any issues, he'll have this, this merit protecting him. So they went and they put Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah as the Nasi, the prince, the leader of the Jewish nation. The day that they put him in there as the leader, he instituted a new policy. Rabbi Gamliel had a certain policy. And the policy of Rabbi Gamliel was that if your inside is not like your outside, you can't come learn in the Beth Midrash. You can't come learn in the Beis Midrash. Your inside has to be like your outside. Like some people are very religious inside, but outside, they don't look Jewish. Some people outside, they look Jewish. Inside, you know, they're dead. You know, like whatever it is. The inside has to be like the outside. And if it's not the same, says Rabbi Gamliel, you're not coming into this uh, Beth Midrash. But comes Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. And when he became the leader, when he became the Nasi, he changed this. He says, no. He says, anybody can enter the, to learn Torah. Anybody's able. And at that day, the Torah, the, the, you know, the Gemara goes and says there were many benches that were added to the Beth Midrash because many more people joined over here. And the story goes on, but we're going to skip to the end of the story. But the end of the story was, who was this student that went and instigated this machlokas, instigated this whole thing? It was none other than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. This is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. So let's ask a question over here. Why did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai do this? Like, what's he going? What's he going and he's instigating between these two rabbis? Why is he starting this feud? 
And furthermore, like, why all of a sudden we didn't tell him his name in the beginning, or we told him his name in the end? Like, 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 what is going on over here? There's so much more depth to the story. So, there's, in order to understand this, we have to look at a different Gemara. And the Gemara is in Shabbos, page 138b. Again, I really hope that you guys are still with me because oh, it's going to get good. The Gemara goes and says like this. The Gemara says that when the rabbis entered Karen of Yavne, the, this is the aftermath, this is after the destruction of the second Bet HaMikdash, after the destruction of the second temple, the rabbis came and they stated that the Torah will be forgotten from Israel, from, from Israel, from the Jewish nation. And Rabbi Shemar Bayechai said, Chas v'shalom, the Torah should be forgotten. Rather, what it means is it's not going to be as it was. Now let's try to understand this. Why specifically did they mention it at Karen B'Yavna? And the answer is because the Nasi, the leader at that time, was Rabbi Gamliel. And Rabbi Gamliel's policy was that any student who's outside, is not like his inside, can't come to learn. So the rabbis are seeing this policy, they're saying, wait a minute, if you're not going to let everybody just come to learn, only if their inside is just like their outside, then forget about it, the Torah is going to be forgotten. Says Rabbi Shimon, he says, no, 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 no. He says, I agree with Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. And Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah had an open door policy. Then therefore, if we institute Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah's policy, the Torah will not be forgotten. And Rabbi Shimon went and quoted a Pasuk. And the Pasuk that he quoted is in Devarim chapter 31, verse 21. And the Pasuk is, Ki sishkach mi The Torah is not going to be forgotten. The Torah and Pasuk in Devarim goes and says, the Torah is not going to be forgotten from the Jewish people, from the children. Rabbi Friedman goes and explains, says Rabbi Shimon, you know what Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yechai went and he did? He said he saw this in Ruach HaKadosh. He saw that they needed to institute, you know, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah as a Nasi because the Torah cannot be forgotten. So how is he going to institute it? There was a whole scheme that was planned and he saw this in Ruach HaKadosh that if he started with Rabbi Yeshua, this whole thing with, between Rabbi Shem and Rabbi Gamil, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah would be instituted and the policy that Rabbi Gamil had would be revoked and hence, the Torah is not going to be forgotten. And I want to tell you something very interesting. If anybody's ever been to Merom, if anybody has ever been to the caver of Rabbi Shem and Bar-Yachai, there's something very interesting that says when you enter the caver, when that you enter the caver, this pasuk is written on it, and the pasuk is ki sishkach mi And I'm actually trying to share this picture, and I realize I can't share this picture in the you know in the chat. But if you go and if you have never been to to the caver, you look at at you just go look at pictures online of the caver of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. Nine out of ten times, you know what picture is going to come. It's going to picture come with a little tunnel, and on top of that tunnel it says, Because that's what Rabbi Akiva pushed. And that's why his Talmidim, Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yechai, he pushed. It means that it's not going to be forgotten from the mouth of the offspring. The Torah is not going to be forgotten. And there's something very interesting. When you take the words, Let's see if I could let's see if I could post this in the chat so you could see. And if you take the last letters, the last letters of which I just posted in the chat, you take the key ends with a yud. The light ends with an aleph. The tishkach ends with a ches. 
Mipi ends with a yod and Zara ends with a vav. You take those words, those spell Yoichai. Those the words spell Rabbi Shimon by Yechai's father. The goal was that Torah is not going to be forgotten. We started off saying that what? That the Torah was going, we had 24,000 students. And then they passed away. The, the world was desolate. We didn't have anybody. Rabbi Akiva didn't give up. He says, no, the Torah is not going to be forgotten. He went and he acquired another five Talmidim. And those Talmidim carried on his legacy, carried on his, 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 his goal. And that is the Torah is not going to be forgotten. And that is why Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, his student, went and made sure that it's going to end up being an open door policy, that the Torah will not be forgotten. Let's continue off with one final story. And again, this is a story that we give a whole class just on the story. But I'll tell it to you very briefly. This story is in Medrash Rabbah and Shir Hashirim. And there's a story of a woman, of a woman in Sidon. There's a story of a case of a woman in Sidon. That they were married for 10 years, and they did not have any children. So this woman came to Rabbi Shem Barichai. And you know, the woman came with her husband, and they said, you know, they said they get divorced. And Rabbi Shimon Baichai goes over to them and says, Okay, you know, I understand, you know, you married for 10 years, you didn't have any children, you know, there's grounds for certain, you know, times for divorce. And he says, But because you got married with such a feast of a wedding, of drinking, of, of simcha, you should also separate with this feast. Uh, the, the translation, I could say it in, if I could say it in English, says, On your lives, said Rabbi Shem Baichai, just as you came to each other with feasting and drinking, so too should you not part each other without feasting and drinking, meaning that you should also have a party when you separate. So they decide they're going to listen to Rabbi Shem Baichai. And they made, a, they made a feast, they made a party. And the, the husband went and he started drinking wine at the party. And when, you know, he got a little bit drunk, and then when his mind, you know, settled a little bit, he goes over to his wife and he says, my daughter, it's a terminology, a term of a love and affection. He goes and he says, if you see any good object in my house, take it and go to your father's house. Meaning that they were separating him. And he was, you know, a man of means. He had, he had a lot of things in his house. Uh, so he says, you know, you know, I know we're separating, but anything you want, anything you want, take with you when you leave. So what did you do? This woman, she waited until her husband, her husband soon to be divorced, ex-husband to be uh, asleep. And when this husband fell asleep, she told her slaves and her maidservants, she says, lift him up in his bed and take him and bring him to my house of my father. And when he gets into the house of the father, shortly after that, in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he's like, he's like, where am I? And he says, uh, you know, she says, I'm in my father's house. What am I doing in your father's house? So his wife goes and says to him, he says, didn't you tell me that any good object, any good thing that I want, I could take and take into my father's house? He says, I want you. He says, I know we're supposed to be separated, but the only thing I want in your house is I want you. So he goes and, and they decided, like, what did this do at this point in time? You know, they were supposed to separate. You know, he went, they ended up in his father's house. They went back to Rabbi Shem Baichai. And Rabbi Shem Baichai heard the story, and he got up, and he davened, and he prayed, and they were, the, the story goes on, they were remembered, and they had children. And they ended up having children. So, we have to understand the story. Like, what's going on here? Rabbi Shem Baichai, 
originally, he didn't pray for them. All of a sudden, they came back, he gave him a beautiful love story, and he's like, okay, let me pray for you. Like, if he could have prayed for them, let him pray in the beginning. Like, what, what's going on now? And there's something very interesting. When you look at this story, first of all, you look at this story, it says it's the story of a case of a woman. This is, the way that it works, it's Maisa Be'isha Achas, the Medrash goes on. It says it's a story with a certain woman, the heroine, the hero of this story was this woman. What's going on over here? Why is it that Rabbi Shem Ba'echai, now he prayed for her? So, there's a very, very important concept in relationships. Something that I say again and again. And I, to be honest, I can't say it enough. That a person always has to feel to be the lucky one in the relationship. If you feel you could have married better, or you could have done better, the relationship is doomed for failure. That's not a strong relationship. You know what is a bad relationship? When you look at a relationship and say, what can my spouse do for me? That's a bad relationship. That's a relationship that you only care about yourself. You have people that they fall out of love. I'm using air quotes. What is this falling out of love is? That you don't make me feel the way that you used to make me feel. Meaning that I love myself so much that if you don't make me feel better or good or happy, then it must be something wrong with you and I fell out of love. You fall out of love. I don't like the way that you make me feel. You used to make me feel better. Whatever it is, the different things, it's all about me. I, 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 me, me, me. When you view a relationship of all about you, that's not a strong relationship. You want to know what's a strong relationship? A strong relationship is what I can do for the other person. And this relationship is not only for your spouse. It's also for Yiddishkeit, for Judaism. Don't look at what HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do for you. Look at what you could do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Look at what you could do for God. Stop always going and saying, God, listen, I deserve this. We don't deserve nothing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us so much that we don't deserve. So how many people go and become religious? Okay, fine. You know, I'll be religious because I need parnasa. I'll be religious because I need health. Okay, okay, because you'll do it, eventually you'll come for the right things. Definitely do it for that way. But that's not a strong relationship. You don't serve God because of what I'm going to get. You serve God because you love God unconditionally. Say, I love you, Hashem. I just want to do for you. You tell your spouse, I love you. I just want to do for you. Nothing to do with me. I just want to give you. I just That is a relationship. That is a hava. That is a love. And, and this is my understanding of this story. It's my own chedesh over here. When the couple came over to Rabbi Shimon Ba'echai, they said, listen, we don't have any children. So each one was thinking, listen, this other spouse, they didn't give me any children. They were looking at it at a different angle about me. Again, it's my chadish. You may, may be wrong. You may not agree with me. That is fine. But this is my chadish. And it was all about me. The bracha, the blessing that lies in relationships, in a hava, is not when I care about myself. Because when I care about myself, then we're connected and we're the same. Then really, it's easy to love. But when I care about the other person, when I love the other person for the differences that they have, that's real love. That's a real relationship. 
when they came back, this couple, to Rabbi Shem Bayechai, and Rabbi Shem Bayechai heard this unconditional love that this couple had for each other. They didn't want to get divorced. They loved each other. They loved each other. The woman could have taken anything. She could have been a multimillionaire for the rest of her life. But what she chose was her husband. She said, I don't want anything else. All I want is you. I don't care about anything else. I want you and nothing else. When Rabbi Shem Bayechai saw the sacrifice, saw the love, saw the bracha that lies in that, he says, now you have a merit. Now let me pray. And then they were blessed with a child. When we come to this time period, and we're mourning, we're mourning for the loss of the 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva, huge, huge people, but also 24,000 people passed away. But we're mourning really for the Torah, the loss of Torah that they could have had. Rabbi Kiva taught them the Ahafta Lareach HaKamacha. What is the lesson? What is the goal over here? Is not to love yourself, not to love somebody else that is like you. The Ahafta Lareach, to love someone that's different from you, not your Chaver, not someone that's connected to you, not someone that's just like you. To love somebody else. That's the lesson over here. Not to just love someone that's like you, because then all you're doing is you're loving yourself. That's not a good relationship. You want to know where the blessing lies? And Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Shem Ba'echai saw this. He says, the blessing lies when you love the differences. Where there's differences and you can connect to that, that's where the blessing lies. And that's why he gave them the bracha. Now, that's why, in my opinion, that's why he started davening now. And comes Lag Ba'imer, we're celebrating. Why are we celebrating? We're celebrating the Torah that came from that. We're celebrating now that we have the at least we had it. Omer Tashan, that we should have it to the level that we had. We had that unity. We had that love. We had that respect. Huge three ideas the love, the respect, and the unity. And Rabbi Kiva brought these five Talmidim. And they followed in his footsteps and they went and they made sure not to make the same mistakes that the previous Talmidim made. And if not for them, we wouldn't have the Torah that we have today. And his students continued his legacy. And his students continued his drive, his focus to make sure that the Torah will never be forgotten. And Rabbi Shem made sure of that. And this is the idea, this is the concept of This is the concept, the idea of This is the idea of why we celebrate on this day and why we mourn on these times. We have to realize what our avoida is during this time. We have to realize what our focus in these times. And I want to end off with this one thought that I believe that during these times, what we have to focus on is we have to focus on that. We have to love our neighbors, our friends like ourselves. But not the neighbors and friends that we love already, that, that connect to us. No, no, no. That's easy. Of course you're going to love them. Liriacha, the person that's different from you. That's what you need to love. You need to love the person that is different from you. Not only that, we have to learn how to cover those that they didn't respect somebody else. The respect concept is also someone that's different from you. And of course, the unity. The unity that we had, we had that unity. We want it. We're coming to Kabbalah Satira. We're coming to accepting the Torah on Shavuos. You want to know how we accept it? We need that unity. We need that achtas.
I wasn't sure if I was going to say this or not, and I really, you know, I really said I was going to end it off, but I really want to bring one other point. And it's a point that, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. I don't know if I could. I'm going to say it. You know, a lot of us, I, I know especially a lot of the people that are coming to these classes and listening to the classes, a lot of clients are in so much mourning of the passing, the past two weeks, you know, two weeks ago, well, almost two weeks ago, of Rabbi Zachariah Wallstein. And I was thinking if I should mention him again, you know, you know, I know myself, me personally, I'm still, I was telling my wife, like, you know, throughout the day, I'm constantly like, it, it pops into my mind, thinking about his family, I'm thinking about the organization, I'm like thinking, like, it's just like, it bog, it, it, I don't know, it, it took me, and I know it took a lot of the Jewish nation very, very hard. And it's something very interesting, right? Because Zachariah Wilson, he passed away. Again, maybe I'm probably not allowed to say this, but whatever. I'm going to say it. You know, I may be wrong, whatever. I don't know. I'm still going to say it. Zachariah Wilson, he passed away during this time, during the Sphero. If there was one person that if you were to ask me, of course, there was a lot of Gedele and a lot of Sadiqim. But who was the epitome? Who was the highest level of the Ahafta Lereya Hakamacha? Who loved someone who was not like themselves? It's Rabbi Wallerstein. How much he cared for people that were not like him. You know, were not like his family, were not like his yeshiva, was not like his background. That's what was focused. Focus was on people that were different. He was huge. I don't think people understand that. I mean, I spoke a little bit about last week, but like people really don't understand what he what he accomplished and what he, he was huge. He was he was via hasta lerecha kamecha. He that's what he was, and he passed during this time. Thousands of years ago, we lost twenty four thousand students. Twenty four thousand that were going to be giants. Now we lost somebody that embodied this. This is what he was. He was He was that was able to treat everybody with respect. Like he was on a completely different level. And I think it's important that each and every single one of us, we don't stop and just move on with our life. We have to focus right now on We have to love everybody like ourselves. We have to go and we have to make sure that we are, we're, we're, we're treating each other with respect and we have that unity. This is something that we have to pick up the pieces that was lost. And I really believe that part of the avoida, the work that we need to do during this time, and especially when we're, we're mourning over a loss of, besides, you know, the Gadaldar, you know, <laughs> that we lost right, right after Parim, Chaim Kanievsky. We have to do something. It's not enough just to move on in life. There, there's too many signs that are just telling us to wake up, and we have to wake up. I don't know. I don't know how better to explain it, and I don't want to say certain things that I shouldn't say, even though I probably passed that line a long time ago. But we really have to pack up, you know, pick up the pieces. And maybe we can't do that. Maybe we're not that type of person. 
that is able to. But at least you could support the places that do do that. The places that do push that. I know, you know, Rabbi Wallstein fundraised everything himself. You know, like he did everything himself. Like literally did everything from everything himself. And I... I believe it's important for us that if we can't, and even if we could, to continue that legacy, continue his organizations that he started, Arnava, the ranch, everything. And there is there is a huge fundraiser event now. You could go to ornava.com and you could, uh, or ornava.org, I think it's ornava.com, um, and there you'll see the link to go into to. to you know, donate to these organizations that Rabbi Wallace went and started and the Zadashem will continue. I have more to say, but I probably said this, I'm going to end off, but I'm really going to end off now. And I was thinking this past week, why was, like I was wondering why his passing was affected me so much. I know it affected a lot of people. But I want to share with you why it affected me. And I didn't realize this until afterwards. So, growing up, be, even before I started speaking, I, I used to listen to Robert Wallace. And I used to listen to Torah Time. Torah Time, you know, back when they started, was it 2007, 2008? I don't remember exactly the date. But, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, I was able to be able to start listening to them right when they started. And I realized that a lot of this foreign that I went on to learn, I heard from Rabbi Wallasim. The Kabayasha, for example, Rabbi Shimshim Pincus, um, you know, there's a few other different Svarim that I picked up and I really connected to. And I want to publicly, you know, give Hakar Satov to, you know, to Rabbi Wallasim for connecting me to that. And I realized that, you know, there's a lot that I picked up that I didn't realize. And I have to be very, very thankful for that. And that's what I was thinking, that, you know, after, you know, I know we're currently, we're in the Muna series. Right now we're doing on the Lagmimer, but we're in the Muna series, and we're soon coming to an end, on, a close on the Muna series, for at least briefly. For, and I want to start a different series. The real thing that I wanted to start was on, on Perke Avos. But now I was thinking, one of the Sfarim that I was connected to through what Rabbi Watson was a Kavayasha. And I was thinking if I should start a series on the Kavayasha. It's a Kabbalistic Safer. And I was thinking if I should start a series on the Kavayasha. I'm not sure yet. I'm up between these two things right now of either doing a series on the Kavayasha or a series on Perkei Avos. So I think what we'll do is we'll end up taking a poll. Um, I don't know how to do this. Maybe we'll do this in the next few classes, in the beginning of the class, to see which of you guys you would um, appreciate. I see you're writing over here both. Um, uh, uh, maybe we could do both. I don't know. Maybe we could jump back and forth. I don't know. We have to see. But this is something that I was thinking of. And um, so it, it's possible. We'll have to see. I'm going to leave it up to you guys to decide, and, and then we'll take it from there. But with that, we will open up to questions. Okay. Um, all right. Where are we over here? I don't even know where to start over here. Okay. Oh, ooh, ooh. can this class be a merit for Sari Yehudas Bas Rachel Esther for a full and everlasting refuah shleima bekarav? Maybe she have a complete refuah shleima b'mehera. Okay. Uh, next question over here. Okay. 
Why is it that converts slash descendants of converts are deemed of having less merits than Jews from birth to the point that they are sometimes not considered for positions of high ranking because of this? Ooh, excellent questions. I understand that Jews from birth have added merit since they come from Avram and Sadiqim. However, usually a son of a king or a gadol is usually seen as higher, so to speak, than one who is in tens of generations from the kings from the kings since they are closer to the source of lineage. And isn't a Baal Shuva higher than Sadiqim Gemurim, or is this only referring to a personal level and not merits? Sorry if this is not clear, just generally curious things. Okay, it's a great question. I'm gonna answer this briefly, uh, because there's a, there's a, there's a few different points to to uh, um, to focus on. There is a point that the Gemara, tell, the Chazal goes and tells us that in a place where somebody is a Baal Shuva, somebody who is uh, somebody who, let's say, became more religious, so to speak, that person has a higher level than somebody that was always religious, even if so righteous, because they were overcame so much. But the, the focus over here, and I believe that's where you're asking on the story, on Rabbi Shemar Bayachai and the Gemara and Brachos, and the reason is, is that granted they are able to achieve higher level, but we're talking over here about two different things. One is yichas, one is merit, that's not from them. It's from their ancestors. And one is merit that's from them. So when you look at merit that is from them, it's very likely, it's very possible that somebody that's a Baal Tshuva has stronger places, especially in Olam Haba, they have a place to stand where even Sadiqim Gemurim can't stand. So they're higher in certain aspects. But when you're dealing with merit from your ancestors, meaning that, look at how important this is, that maybe some of us don't have merits from our ancestors. But that doesn't mean that we can't create merit for our descendants. We could be that ancestor that will give merit to our descendants. You, Whatever you do gives a benefit for your children and for your grandchildren and for your great-grandchildren. And this could work in a huge positive aspect. If you do good, then your children will benefit that. Your grandchildren will benefit that. You'll, they'll have the yichas, they'll have your merits. Unfortunately, bad, we want to go to down that path. So over here, what we're referring to over here, the, the protection that, that, that you know, Elizabeth ben Azariah had was his ancestor merit that Rabbi Kiva didn't have. Rabbi Kiva had different merit. It's different. It may be greater in certain areas, but an ancestor merit that he didn't have. Okay, next. Uh, another question regarding the stories on the book of all. Okay, maybe a different time. It's a little bit getting a little bit late over here. Uh, thank you for posting the link over here uh, for Ornava. I appreciate that. Um, okay, I know... Next question. I know uh, that in the Gemara it says that fire is 160th of Gehenna, but it also seems to represent an incredible light whenever it is used. It is used on joyful occasions like Lag Ba'imer, Welcome Mechag, or Shabbos. We, why would we use something that is 160th of Gehenna for all these amazing uh, occasions? That's a great question. I really like that question. That's a question really that I have to do more research into and more, more learning into, but I'll tell you a, a thought. And you know, fire represents, you know, the, you know, Gehenna. But every property, every, everything that's physical, in a sense, has pros and cons to it, has positivity and negativity to it. So even though fire has the ability to destroy, it also has the ability to go and to bring forth. You're able to, you need to bake, you need fire. To warm yourself, you need fire. Fire has a lot of good uses. And in fact, if you look at it, fire has more good uses than bad uses. There's only really one big bad use for fire. 
And that's for the destruction. But there's so many other benefits for fire. And it's not, when you speak about fire, it's also heat. Heat, you know, the, the aspect of heat is also needed for growth. Right now, we're in the spring months and you look outside, you know, the, it's getting hotter. The sun is shining stronger and longer and things are able to blossom. The heat is using it to be able to go and to blossom. So, so everything in life can be used for the positive or for the negative. And, Granted, there are many things that can be used in the positive. We like candles, Lele Nishmas, before Shabbos. There is a power of that. Nishama is also represented by fire. The idea of what fire is represented in spirituality. Fire is a very spiritual thing. One of the reasons is, is that fire, whenever you light a match, whenever you light a fire, fire always goes up. It never goes down. Heat always rises. Why is that? That's, that's, that's a lesson that the spirituality, you're always supposed to go up. You're always supposed to rise. You take a match, you light it, you can turn it upside down, you can turn it up. Wherever it is that you're going, it's always going upwards. The opposite way of gravity. It's always going the other way. Because that's our focus, that's our lesson, that's what we need to learn. That's the spirituality that's saying always going up. There's a lot more to speak about it. We're going to speak about it slow because I need to end soon. Okay. Um, oh, look at that. We have a, quite a few things regarding Kabi Yashar. Okay, Blee Nether, remind me next week we're going to do a real poll and before we start the class. This is really a poll for people that join uh, the class. I know it's very important for the people that listen online. You guys can email me if you do have a particular say. But ultimately, ultimately, the final say really is the people that join uh, in person. But of course, I li- we listen to everybody. We love everybody that listens to the classes afterwards on the virtual world as well. So please do share. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we'll, uh, what we'll do. Um, okay, next question. Why, where are we? Oh, why do we have to love everyone? Not every Jew is someone to love. Also, are we meant to love different gender? Okay, that's a good question. That's a, that's a layered question. There are, I'm trying to answer this fast because I tried to get through these, uh, answer these briefly, but I don't know if there's a way I can answer that question fast. Um, but let's just leave it at this. You, you, when love different gender. I'm not saying you're supposed to go and love all the different, you know, the opposite gender. Okay, there's, it means to love the person, the, the, love the Jew, so to speak. There's a different type of love than I think what this question is coming forward for. It's a, it's a love of a person for being a person, not for who they are. Now, granted, yes, there are certain people that are going against God and they're doing the hakas. We're not going to get into all those details. But your question is a loaded question. It's a great question. Um, but to get into too much detail, I think we're going to go too far off. But I really like that question. I do appreciate that. So thank you for asking that. Um, okay, uh, next we have over here is who are the... I lost this. Hold on one second. Where are we over here? Oh, here we go. Okay. Who are the other Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva? Okay, so the Talmidim were Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Shimon Bayachai, and Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua. Uh, maybe we should, did we ever, I don't know if we ever gave a class on that. Those were the, those were the five students. Okay, next. Rabbi Akiva came from Geras, and both his mother... And father's side, because if not, does he not have married from one side? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe Rabbi Kiva has married from one side. And the answer is, I don't know if he had the... Maybe he had, you know, Jewishness on one side, but the idea of being... Um, of, of the Yichas, where Rabbi Lazar ben Azaya came from, from Ezra, which was like the, the leader of the generation. So even if he was Jewish, even if they were Jewish, it wasn't on the same level. 
Okay, next. We have here uh, two more questions. I'm going to end off over here, or maybe it's a three. Okay, was it right of Rabbi Shimon Baichai's level, of course, for Rabbi Shimon Baichai not to show, uh, I'm assuming that's Akar Satov to the Romans, even if it was right that they made everything for themselves, it seems that the Torah is very focused on Akar Satov, even if a person was not for the person intentionally. That is a great question. Maybe Rabbi Shimon Baichai should have had Akar Satov, like even though they made it for themselves, he still benefited from them. It's a good question. I don't have an answer offhand. I would have to look into that. I'd have to look at it. It's a very good question. Okay, next. Why do converts accept Judaism later in life? Were they with us in Harsinai? Also, what about babies that were adopted and converted? So there is a few different understanding, uh, understanding of this. One of the understanding is that there are converts that they, when, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us a Torah, He gave opinion, the ability to have the Torah to all the nations of the world. And the, all the nations of the world rejected it. However, there were some souls that said, wait a minute. It says, you reject it, but maybe we, we want it. But they were part of those nations. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them the opportunity to come back in, you know, in future generations and to connect to Judaism, to connect to Yiddishkeit, and to, uh, um, to convert. There's another aspect of what, you know, converts is that there are many converts that when they look into their yichas, when they look into their ancestry, they find out they were, they had Jewishness back then. And what happened was that they went off the great ancestors went off the derech and they ended up intermarrying, assimilating, unfortunately. And these souls, they're sort of bringing that family back. There's also a certain aspect of that. Ah, oh, here we have, please, Kaviyasha, since there are, there are barks from so many Perke Avos and not that much in Kaviyasha. Okay, maybe, we have to see. Okay, next. Um, <clears throat> how should you act to the other gender? I know that you shouldn't act how you would in your own gender, but you don't want to be plain rude either. Also, can you ask forgiveness for the other gender? I believe, well, the asking for the forgiveness, that's a, let's, let's take that offline because it depends on what was going on over there. But how are you supposed to act to the other gender? It's a whole class in itself. It's a really a whole class in itself regarding, you know, how you're supposed to be friendly and how you're supposed to, you know, make sure that, you know, there's friendly and then they cross a line to a little bit flirtatious. There's a diff, there's a, there's a lot of guidelines that we have to go and it's, I don't think I have enough time to go into delve into that, but there is a guideline. There is something of being polite and then there's a difference of being overly friendly and over, so there, there is a line that we have to realize that we have to draw. Last question before we end off. Is it a sin to not like someone cause they are even mitzvot in the Torah that relate to, for example, when an enemy donkey fall, falls, or if you hate your wife, you still must double the inheritance of a child. And it, I, I am not following the question. I'm sorry, but there's another part of the question. And the is a gilgal. So if someone's child converts, is it possible that the, child, the previous life he was a child of a Jew? Yes, yes, it was, and that's what we were mentioning. It is possible that they were a Jew. <clears throat> okay, I'm sorry for rushing through. Um, regarding to give a class on conversing and dealing with the opposite gender. Yes, it is possible. It's a difficult class to give. But yeah, we ha- maybe we could do something like that in the future. I have to remember to do that. I have a few things that lined up, but Bezat Hashem, maybe we could do something like that in the future. Other than that, thank you all for joining. And Bezat Hashem, in the merits of Lag Ba'imah, in the merits of Rabbi Shem Ba'achai, and all that tzaddikim, maybe we learned the lesson of Ve'yahavta Lerecha Kamaycha, the Rabbi Kiva, went and pushed so so as a cloud gold about and as well as the love, the unity and respect that we have to have. And these merits may Akadish Bahu grant us to bring us Mashiach Mehera Bamenu and may we be reunited with all our lost teachers, leaders, families, everybody to be able to serve Akadish Bahu Mehera Bamenu in the Besa Migdash very, very soon. Thank you all for joining. 
You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.